Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. Well, hey, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about being children of God this morning. And uh, there's a few scriptures we're going to look at, just a couple places that we're going to get to. We're not going to stick in just one little passage this morning. We're going to skip like a stone across a couple spots this morning. But before we get there, I kind of want to set this up uh, like this. For the last few weeks, we've been doing this series that we're calling Prophetic Community. And by that, what we mean, well, we mean a couple things. Uh, We started with this passage, very odd little passage in 1 Samuel, and I'll just quickly recap it for you. 1 Samuel chapter 10, this is where Saul meets the prophet Samuel. Samuel gives him some words and says, hey, you're going to meet some people who are going to give you some food, take it. Then you're going to meet a band of singing prophets, go with it, you know. And sure enough, Saul leaves there and he meets these singing prophets. And when he meets them, the spirit of the Lord comes powerfully on him. And he also begins to prophesy. Uh, This must have been such a surprise because there became a saying that went around Israel at that time. And it was something like this. Is Saul now a prophet? You read it in the Bible and you're like, this is weird. But apparently it was so out of character that he was doing these things that people were like, what's going on with Saul, right? And so part of what we see in 1 Samuel chapter 10 is that communities have gravity that individuals don't. So when Samuel, when Samuel uh, goes and meets Saul, uh, it's, it's not in the moment when Saul meets Samuel, the great prophet, that the Spirit of the Lord comes on him. It's not in that moment. Uh, he gets anointed with oil when he meets Samuel the prophet. But when Saul meets the prophetic community, he gets anointed by the Spirit. And so what we're saying here is that there's something about a community of people who have a spirit, who have a heart, that it can actually change individuals just by being around them or just by being joined to them. And part of what I see in that is uh, there's, there's something about church here for us. Like, what is this thing we're doing? Now, the mirror passage to, do, to this is, is 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, look, like when the prophetic is at work in your midst, uh, basically read for that. When, when the gift of encouragement and strength is at work in your midst, if someone comes in and doesn't even know who Jesus is, they'll be convinced that God is among you just by you being who you are. It's an amazing thing, right? And so part of the invitation for us here at the Vineyard is to, is to say, or at least I feel like right now, is to be a prophetic community. And this has to do with the words we speak, like words of encouragement, and like Emily said last week, like having an expectation of hope, right? But, but more than the words we speak, we're not just charismatics here at the Vineyard. More than the words we speak, being a prophetic community is about who we are. Like who we are when we're not even trying. Like the gravity that changes people just by being who we are without even trying. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk to you a little bit about being a prophetic community and the fact that that has to be rooted in our knowledge of being God's children. So being a community like this, it has to do with 
the words we speak, but it really has to do with the people that we are. Before I get to talking about being children of God, I, want to, I just want to contrast that with our own culture here really quickly. Uh, the culture that we currently live in, uh, how many of you are aware that it is, um, it's a particular culture, right? Uh, and it has, it has like flagstones that sort of like mark out the boundaries of the culture that we live in. And as I was thinking about it, we could say a lot of things about the culture that we live in right now, but I just want to highlight three specific flagstones of the culture we live in. And the reason I want to do that is because it just gives us a little bit of, gives us a little contrast as to where we're, where we're not going and maybe the thing that God is calling us to. So, so the first thing I want to say about the culture that we currently live in is this. We live in a culture that is highly consumeristic. Like it is, it is mostly, mostly, mostly driven by uh, the idea that you are what you have. Uh, and now, by the way, this is, this is happening literally all the time. It happens all the time and in such, such almost immediate ways that we don't even notice it. And you almost have to get outside of it to notice what's on the inside of it. It's like, how many of you are aware that a fish doesn't know it's swimming in water? It's just like, well, this is my life, right? And in the same way, the culture we live in is highly consumeristic. And by that, I mean this. The culture that we live in, it says things, something like this. You are what you have. And if it's not you are what you have, it's Gary V, right? You are what you're pursuing. It's highly consumeristic. Uh, you are what you can acquire. And because of that, there's tremendous pressure on every single person in this room to succeed. And success is always equated with acquisition. Like this is American culture 101. Success is acquisition to really make a mark, make something of yourself. And many of us, without even knowing it, get caught up in spending our days and our strength pursuing things that will not last. That's what a consumeristic culture will make you. It's, it'll drive you in this direction. Uh, the second thing about our culture that we currently live in, uh, it is profoundly narcissistic. It's consumerism-driven, but it's also profoundly narcissistic. This culture that we are in is image-obsessed. Image-obsessed. You are who follows you. What is American culture? American culture is this. You are who follows you. You are the number of likes and the amount of engagement you can curate. And by the way, speaking of that word curate, uh, how many of you are aware that when I was a little kid, the word curate never came up? <laughs> you can go on Google. Have you ever seen that thing on Google where you can see where words start like being used more and more and more? Go look at the word curate and when it started to come into the popular culture. Can I tell you something? It's recent. <laughs> Why? Because we're all curating what? Image. image. All the time. We're always curating image. Why? Because this culture is image obsessed. You are who follows you. It's the idea that I'm powerful when I'm at the center. And then thirdly, the thing I want to say about the culture that we live in, it is highly tribalistic. Everything and everyone is divided into teams. Anybody in here felt like, oh my gosh, somebody's always trying to drag me onto their team, right? Like everything, everything, everything is about teams. 
pick a side. How many, of, how many of us in the room have been like, felt the pressure that we had to pick a side on everything in the last year? <laughs> the last year and a half. You, you felt like you had to, you, have you felt like that, not only that you had to pick a side, but how many of you have felt like this, that any decision you did make was you joining a team, even if you didn't want to join that team? Like how many of you put a mask on and was like, man, I'm not even, I'm not even on this other team that you think I am. I just don't want to get COVID, you know? <laughs> like everything is tribal, right? Everything is tribal. It's political polarization. It's right or left, you know? If you want to be a good Christian, you better be this. If you want to be a good Christian, you better be that. Pick a side, pick a team. And then, by the way, when you do that, be sure to demonize the other people, right? It's like, it's like you can't just enjoy being on your team. You got to hate the other people, you know? The culture we live in is highly tribalistic. And as I was thinking about that this week, I was thinking about this. Isn't our tribalism just a manifestation of our own insecurity? Like, why do we want to be a part of a team so bad? Why? Because we're so desperately insecure. We just, we want the protection of a group, don't we? Like, I want to, I want to hide my life uh, my ideals or my goals inside of a group. And then that way I have some protection against the wild, the wide and the wild world. Everything, everything is pushing us to choose a team. And the reason I'm sort of highlighting the culture we live in uh, is this. The invitation to be a prophetic community, the invitation to be the prophetic community is, is really an invitation to be something other. It's the invitation to be that peculiar thing that Jesus calls the, the people of God, to live inside the kingdom of God. And, and here's the thing, if, if we make it our hope and if we make it our goal to pursue being the people of God and live inside the kingdom of God, we will have to have contrast with the culture that we live in. We have to become contrasting in some kind of way. So what does it mean to be the prophetic community? Well, it means a lot of things, but it means, it means maybe at a foundational level, it means being rooted in the knowledge that we're God's children. And by the way, understanding that you're God's child, it works against all of these things that I've talked about today. Consumerism, narcissism, and tribalism. We'll get to that maybe a little bit later, but I wanna read a couple of scriptures to you this morning. I wanna read maybe, maybe just a couple right up front. Um, can you put up Galatians chapter 4, verse 7? Look at what Paul says to us out of Galatians. This would be a good one just to snap with your phone. Read it later this week. Paul says to the church, Now you are no longer a slave, but you're God's own child. Think about these little babies who are up here this morning. You're God's own child, and since you are his child, God has made you his heir. What does it mean to be an heir? Everything your dad has is what? Is yours. Everything your mama has is what? Is yours. That's pretty good. Okay. 1 John chapter 3, 1 and 2. See how much our Father loves us. Look, the word Father. See how much our Father loves us. For He calls us His children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we're God's children because they don't know Him. Dear friends, we are already God's children. You might want to underline that. Will you one day be God's child? No, you're already God's child. 
but he's not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him for we'll see him like he really is. We'll stop there for just a moment. This is the bedrock of the community that we're after here at the Vineyard. We want to be a community that speaks a word of hope and encouragement to a world listening to other voices, but we also want to be a community that just in the essence of its nature is living out of a different story, and the story at the bottom is this. We are God's children. What does that mean? I want to unpack some features of what it means to be God's children with you this morning. I would tell you how many features it is, but I didn't count. It's like four or five. I can't remember. The first feature of being God's child that I want to unpack this morning is this, that you and I, we didn't choose to be God's child. I know this feels counterintuitive. I know that when I start saying things like, you didn't choose to be God's child, that just rubs something against us. It's like, oh, that's, that feels weird. It feels counterintuitive. Uh, it may even feel unimportant. But here's what I want you to know. It's actually a really big deal. No one in the room chose to be God's child. Um, it's a really, really big deal. And why is that? Well, let's start to hear. What baby, what baby chooses to be born? Did any of the babies who were up here this morning, did they choose to be? And did they choose to be born to the parents that they were born to? Uh, the answer to those questions is obviously no. And even in the case of God's children, we didn't decide to be his children. No one here decided. It ultimately wasn't up to us. And here's what that means. Uh, here's what that means. This is, actually, this is why it's so important. If you didn't choose to opt in, you can't opt out. This is a really, really big deal. None of us chose, just like little babies didn't choose to be born to God, none of us chose to be God's children. And you might be thinking, well, Pastor Adam, when I was 12, I went up and I talked to the pastor and I shook his hand and I recited a prayer and I got dunked and I definitely chose. Uh, no, you didn't. You simply responded to the fact that God had already chosen you before the foundation of the world. You were just responding. The Bible says we, we love why? Because he first loved us. And here's the thing. If you didn't opt in, you can't opt out. And that's really good news because your inclusion isn't resting on your ability to remain faithful or to stay in. It was never about that. What does it mean to be God's child? Being God's child means that from the foundation of the world, you were his and his alone. Here's the other thing that it means. It means this. Well, maybe, let me, before I get there, some of us in the room are wondering about this. Well, what about behaving badly? <laughs> well, well, I mean, like what about people who, who maybe were with God for a while, but then they start acting bad, Adam? What about bad behavior? What about people who are naughty? What about people, <laughs> what about people who act in ways that are profoundly counter to God and his family? Well, here's what I want to tell you. You can leave home. You can leave home. You can go far. Uh, you can go to the courthouse and change your last name. And you know what you cannot change? Who your mom and your dad are. You cannot change your DNA. Go to the courthouse. Act bad. Dude, get a drug habit. Go all in. Go all in. Run up your credit cards. Be mean to your neighbors. 
blow your leaves on their yard. Let your dog poop in their grass. Don't pay your taxes. Write mean letters to the editor. Blow people up on Facebook. And act, guess what? You can change your name all you want, but at the end of the day, you are God's son and you are God's daughter. You can't change it. If he's chosen you, you can't change it. Here's the other thing it means if you didn't choose to be God's child. It means that you're a product of desire. By the way, all babies are products of desire. No baby is here because they weren't anything other than first a product of desire. And this means in the very same way that mothers and fathers have children and the reason they have children is because they had a desire for one another that ultimately resulted in more people. In the very same way, God has a desire for you. How many of you know in this room that God doesn't need you? God doesn't need you. That's a good meditation for the week. This is the beginning of mental health. There, <laughs> mental health 101. There is a God. You are not it. God does not need you. Number three, uh, here's why God doesn't need you. Uh, because if he's God, God has no needs. And if God has no needs, God has only what? Wants. He has only desires. And so if you're in the room this morning, you are only here because the God of heaven wanted you. You were a dream in his heart before the foundation of the world. You are here. And here's the other part. This is why it's very important. If you're a product of his desire, this means... Uh, that you have a purpose for your life. Every single person, like you might be really jacked up this morning. There's a couple hundred people in this room. It's a little warm. There's some jacked up people here. And I'm not saying that because I know all your business. I'm saying that because like there's 200 people here. You get 200 people to here. You got, there's some stories. We could tell some stories. Listen, no matter how cracked out, half-baked, your life is, no matter how hard you've tried to run away and change your name at the courthouse for the last five or six years, it does not matter. You were a product of God's dreaming heart. You are the desire of his imagination. And because of that, you have a purpose and there is a meaning to your life. And, and here's why you have to go on li living. Uh, some of us in this room might be like profoundly depressed. Uh, here's why you have to go on living and living with hope because you might have a reason to live in the future that you cannot imagine, uh, imagine right now. There may be a reason for you to live tomorrow that you cannot currently imagine. And here's why I know that's possible because you're here, uh, because you're a, you're a product of God's desire. And for that reason, you have purpose and you may not even be able to attach yourself to the purpose right now because you have, you've done such a good job of changing your last name and you think you've hung a turn, you think that you ran away from home. I, I just want you to know, uh, life's not over. And there may be, a, in the future, there may be a reason for your being that you cannot imagine right now. You gotta, you gotta keep going. You're here for a reason. You might think life is meaningless. But the truth is, you're loved and chosen by God. I want to put this little scripture up. This is the one I've actually been meditating on this week. Ephesians chapter one, verse four. Even before he, who? God. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Man, do a little work on this verse. Look at the words here. Before he made the world, God loved 
chose for us to be holy and without fault. You are loved, you are chosen, you are holy, you are without fault. Before you were born, what does this mean? Uh, here's what it means to be a child of God. It means you are loved and cherished. You're desired and wanted. But here's the other part. You're, you're currently loved and cherished no matter what. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, he says, If evil fathers know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more does the Father in heaven want to give good things to those who ask him? What does it mean to be loved and cherished? What does it mean to be loved and cherished? Even now, we are loved and cherished. And some of us in the room grew up with really good parents, and some of us grew up with, with parents who were shipwrecks, right? You know, uh, Some of us really have an idea of what it means to be loved and cherished because we got it. And then some of us have an idea of what it means to be loved and cherished because we didn't get it. But here's the good news this morning. Your Father in heaven loves and cherishes you. And because of that, we should pray and we should ask him to care for us. Your father wants to care for you. You should feel free in prayer to ask God to care for you. Ask him for his care. Ask God that his care would intersect our lives. Um, by the way, my children have no problem asking me for help. <laughs> Anybody ever get cash app requests on their phone? <laughs> my kids don't care to send me a cash app request. And guess what? I don't care to send it. Literally, I don't care to send it. And sometimes my kids need to ask me for help because I don't know that they need help, right? Like sometimes because Heather and I live in close proximity with my children, I have a pretty good idea what's going on in their life, right? But sometimes even with children who live in my house, I don't know everything they need. And unless they come and ask me, I cannot help them, not because I'm unwilling, but because I don't know. Now, I understand the metaphor breaks down here a little bit, and I understand that God knows everything, but what I am saying is this. There's something about this relationship. Sometimes God just simply wants us to come to him and say, God, I need your help. I need, I need your active care in my life. And here's what I want you to know. You are loved and cherished by God, and you should go to him with confidence because he wants to help you like a father wants to help his children. Now, here's what else it means to be a child of God. We are not stunted. This is going to be a challenge for some people, but we're going to go here anyway. We are not stunted. We are children, but we are not stunted in growth. Here's what that means. It means we grow. Here's the other thing it means. It means God is not a helicopter parent. God is not, God is not putting you in a padded room. Being God's child means expecting his help and care. Like we expect him to help and care because he's a good father. But it also means growing up and becoming mature. Uh, sometimes you hear people talk about being God's child. And when you listen to them, you're just like, dude, it sounds like you talk. It sounds, it sounds as though the way you're talking, it feels like what you mean is being a perpetual six-year-old. You know, have you ever heard people talk like this? Well, God is my daddy and blah, 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 blah. And you're like, yes, that's true. God is your daddy. But like, I think what you're trying to use is, I think you're trying to play this God's child card as some sort of a trump card to get you out of every mess. And the truth is you are God's child, but just like natural children grow up and become mature, like we also grow up and become mature in the faith as well. We are not stunted. Spiritual growth is a real thing. And I want to give you two signs of becoming mature in this world and spiritually. 
Number one, mature people are not simply doing pain avoidance. It's not always about going around. What does it mean to be God's child? Well, it means you can expect his love, affection, his care, and his interaction in your life. But it also means you can expect to grow. What is a sign that you are growing in the faith and you're becoming a mature person, both emotionally, spiritually, physically, and every part of your being? It means that we're, we're not doing pain avoidance all the time. Like take all your pain to God in prayer. Take it, all, take it all to him. And at the same time, recognize that there will be some pain in your life that you cannot go around, you have to go through. And it doesn't mean you're not God's child and it doesn't mean he's not a good father. It means you're becoming mature. Like Jesus went to the cross, right? Like uh, there are two favorite sons in the Bible, Joseph and Jesus. Joseph got thrown in a hole and sold into slavery. Jesus got nailed to a cross. Being God's favorite doesn't mean we're going to avoid all the pain. Being God's son means we get to grow up and become a mature kind of person who can go through some stuff knowing that our father is with us no matter what. Being God's child means he will never leave you or forsake you, but it also means he wants you to grow. And what is a sure sign that you're becoming mature? Number one, I'm not always doing pain avoidance. Always, like This is a sure sign. Immature people, immature people in every sphere of life are pain avoiders. Uh, number two, how do, how do I know I'm becoming spiritually mature? Being able to love and serve other people. This is how you know. Babies can't do this, right? Babies, babies literally, the only thing they can do is like, I need my mom, you know? I need my mom. And by the way, how many of you know it's good for a baby to say, I need my mom, right? How many of you know it's weird when they're 24? I need my mom, you know? It's like, well, actually, maybe, maybe your mom needs you now, you know? Mow your mom's grass. <laughs> Cook your mom dinner. You're like, what's well, something? I don't know. But being able to love and serve others, this is a sign that we're becoming mature. And when you can love, when you can love and serve others, when it doesn't just have to be about me being loved and served, but when I can love and serve others, uh, how many of you know that when I love and serve others, it doesn't mean I'm not a child of God. I'm still his son. I'm still his son. I'm just helping him take care of some of the other kids around, right? Yeah, this is a really big deal. By the way, I also think that there are spiritual phases of life that are not unlike the physical phases of life. Uh, there, there needs to be a season in your life where God just takes care of you. And you know what? Sometimes you go back to it. You know, uh, even when we get older, we, we need God to take care of us. You know, how many of you have ever gotten sick or gotten down on your back and all of a sudden, you know, you're like the strongest person in your family and, and you got the six-year-old getting your LaCroix out of it. <laughs> you're like, daddy needs a spark of water. <laughs> I can't get up. Yeah. Yeah, there are, there are seasons to your life where God wants to love, cherish, serve you and help you in this profound way, almost as though you're just this little kid like you're just weak and you're dependent on him. Yes, totally. And yet, he wants us to grow up. He wants us to grow up to begin to serve other people the way that Jesus serves. He wants us to grow up, you know? Uh, it's simply just not the case that we're gonna be perpetual six-year-olds to God. It's, that is not it, y'all. We're going to grow up. We're gonna learn how to not be pain avoiders. 
Oh, we're going to learn how to serve other people. And in this, we're, we're not becoming less sons of God. We're not becoming less daughters of God. We're still his child. We're just growing up. What does it mean to be a child of God? Two more really quick. There's a family resemblance. Being God's child means we have the family resemblance. Seth and Maggie, they have my blue eyes. Rowan is creative like his mother. River loves music like me. Seth is a giant like some of my great uncles. <laughs> it's in there. I didn't know it was in there. It didn't show up in me. <laughs> Which is very average. But things get passed along. And it's the same with being a child of God. Uh, we have something happening in us. We have instincts and reflexes, and they came from our Father. What does this mean? It, it means that you have heaven's DNA inside of you, and it means you have resources that you didn't maybe know that you had to actually uh, to help other people and to be of use and to serve the world and to bless the world. And like every single time you go out and live in Campbellsville or Greensburg or Adair County, or maybe, maybe you're from Marion County this morning, uh, wherever you go in central Kentucky, when you show up and you're in the world, when you're at work, when you're at school, when you're in your neighborhood and you're meeting people who are having all kinds of problems, or maybe there's just things that are wacky around you, part of what God is doing in that moment is he's, he, it's you. You're the thing he's doing in that moment, and you bear the family resemblance, meaning that you carry something of Jesus with you everywhere you go, and so part of his answer is, is moving through you. It's, it's already, there are resources. You, there's something inside of you. Like even without praying, there are things inside of you that you have to give you might not even know you had it. Like It's like Seth being a giant. Like Where did that come from? Well, it came from our family. It's, we have giants in our family. You know, we do. God is a creator. So are his children. God's family is a family of love. And so we actually do have love to give to the world. Uh, God is a helper and a fixer. And so are his children. Like God's creativity, it's like, it's like brown eyes in a family. You know, God's, God's family of love, it's like, it's like height in a family. Uh, God's ability to repair and fix broken things it's, it's, like, it's like athletic ability that runs in a family. It is in us to help and care for the world. Finally, what does it mean to be God's child? It means you can always come home. Being God's child means we can always come home. I can go to my mom and dad's house anytime. I haven't lived there in years. Here's what's weird. I can have a nap and a meal at my mom and dad's house. I have not lived there in years. I can go to my mom and dad's. I can open up the refrigerator, get whatever I want, whether they're home or not. I can take a nap on their couch, whether they're home or not, and get this. It's not weird. <laughs> Is it, anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like you can always go home. You can literally always go home. Heather and I have been married for 22 years. We have, we've lived in the house that we currently live in for going on 15 years. And in our 22 years, Heather and I have lived with her parents twice, once for nine months and the second time for six weeks. And get this, it wasn't weird. Like you can just always go home. Part of what it means to be God's child is that you can always 
go home. And what am I talking about this morning? Well, here's what I'm talking about. Maybe you are far from God this morning. Maybe your life is an absolute wreck. Maybe, maybe you have done just the best job of ruining everything. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe, you, maybe you went to the courthouse and changed your name. Maybe you grew up a Christian and you're like, you know what? This is dumb. I'm going to the courthouse and changing my name. I'm going to become a Buddhist, you know? I'm going to become, I'm, become, I'm becoming a Zen master. I'm, I, I, better than that, it's all stupid. I'm an atheist, you know? And not only do I think there is no God, I think people who think there is a God are stupid. And, and maybe, maybe you've done all the things, or maybe you just were real naughty for the last five or six years. I don't think I've ever said the word naughty. <laughs> I don't think I have. But maybe you've just done all the things, like you literally did all the, all the things that Christians are not supposed to do. Like maybe, maybe you did the drugs and you did the sex and you just did all that. You went to Vegas and you just Vegas it up. Like, like you just, I mean, fear and loathing. Like you did it all, you know? You went, total, you went full gonzo. Maybe you've done it all. Maybe you, maybe you shamed your family. Maybe you did, or maybe something else, you know? I'm going pretty hard in the paint here this morning. <laughs> What's the, even if you've done all those things, you can still come home. Amen. You can come home. You can, I mean, you're here this morning. Maybe you are coming home. I have no idea. Can I tell you something? I think my kids are pretty good. Early returns are... Early returns are solid. We're praying for the little one, but we feel good. We feel good. We do feel good. Oh, he's the funniest Russell, by the way. I mean, he's, and he didn't get it from me. He got it from Heather. See, it's like stuff runs in the family. Kid's funny. I, he, there's a funny thing I cannot tell you that he said this week. That is so good, deadly. Early returns are good. However, if my kids go off the rails, like full bore off the rails, if one of my kids ends up an ax murderer, like with an ax, <laughs> can I tell you something? It will change my heart towards them 0%. It will break my heart. You better believe it. Are you kidding me? but it will not change my affection for my children 1%. If my kid goes off the rails, my kid can always come home. I got a five bedroom house and we got three bathrooms. You can always come home. Two of them are in the basement. <laughs> it's not a window, but you can always come home. This is what it means to be God's child. You can come back. And, you know, maybe you did a great job of wrecking your life and you're here this morning. Good news, you can come back. Or, or maybe you, you haven't really wrecked your life, but you've, you're just, you're further from God than you want to. Maybe, maybe you moved out, you know? You moved out and you just haven't visited home. You can always come home. Jesus says that in his Father's house, there are many rooms, you know? Many, many rooms. Uh, part, of, part of that little parable is just about the expansive nature of God's heart to love and provide a place for his children to be with him. You can always come home.
Uh, this is the bedrock of what it means to be the prophetic community. Being a prophetic community, it's not about being a charismatic wacko. Like, we, I want to do prophetic words. I want prophetic ministry. I love the gifts of the Spirit. I want all of that. That ain't what it's about. Being a prophetic community is about being a community that is other. A community that is rooted in the knowledge that we are God's children, that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he wants us to ask him for help, that we are going to grow, we're going to be mature people who are not just pain avoiders, and that we can always come home. This is the bedrock of what it means to be a prophetic community. And that community, that sort of people of God, that's the contrast that the narcissistic, capitalistic, consumeristic, tribalistic world we're currently living in, that's the one that has gravity. That's the one. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Hey, um, worship band, Matt, come on up. Here's what we want to do this morning. Uh, we're going to sing one more song, just to tie a bow on this. Why don't you guys stand up? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a song. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of The Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at The Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time. <laughs>